Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith. Over 40 different characters here. We spent a lot of weeks on this talking about each one and what they mean and what they represent. And you see the tie-in right into this, guys. Right in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore... And remember, you need to stop and see why it's therefore. So therefore, since you just read about all these people, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You are surrounded by these witnesses of their lives. And as we went through all these different characters, I hope you can relate to them. So when you start going through a difficulty in your life right now, you can stop and say, well, wait a second. Their witness to me on how they lived and how they walked in faith is what is encouraging me. Maybe you are facing a giant in your life right now. There is a giant problem. It's a relationship issue. It's a marriage issue. It's a work issue. It's a health issue. It's a financial issue. It's a giant Well, guess what? You already read about how David subdued giants. I can go back and see the witness of his life and say, Lord, you helped that little shepherd boy take down the giant. You're going to take down the giant in my life. Maybe right now at work, at home, whatever, you're finding it difficult to take a stand for the faith. And you feel compromise coming on. Well, we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that took a stand. I can learn from their witness. You know, maybe God is moving too slow in your life. He needs to pick up the pace here a little bit. Some more answered prayers. Well, we've read about Abraham and Sarah and their patience and faith and waiting till they were 100 years old to have a child. That's the point of these witnesses. You know, a lot of times when I do counseling with people, whatever problem they're facing, I stop and say, okay, let's find a biblical person that went through something similar. I'm not saying it's the exact same, but something similar and see what the Lord did in their lives. You know, before we started Hebrews, we did that study through uh, Chronicles. And one of the things we kept saying is that these Old Testament examples are there for us to learn what to do and to also learn what not to do. So we are surrounded by these witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's run the race. That word race is a really interesting word. When you think of the word race, what do you think of? Think of a race, right? It's only translated race really one time in the Bible. That same Greek word is also translated conflict, fight, and contention. Now, that doesn't sound as much fun, does it? You know, if my boys came up to me and said, Dad, let's go run a race, I could still beat them. I'll do that. But if they came up to me and said, Dad, let's have a conflict, that doesn't sound as much fun. Let's have a fight. That doesn't sound much fun. See, this idea of running the race, it's difficult, Here's our first point. Your race that you need to run in life is sometimes a struggle, sometimes it's a conflict, sometimes it's a spiritual fight. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a difficult thing to do. I think sometimes we misrepresent Jesus by this whole come get saved and your life is going to be perfect and wonderful, just like Job. No. You come get saved and you're saved from hell. Amen. That's what you're saved from. We still have conflicts, fights, contentions, and struggles while we run this race. And let's be perfectly honest. Sometimes the conflict, fights, contentions we have are with people who also claim to be Christians as well. Which that makes it pretty difficult. So if you have the race that you see, and you're saying, James, this is a struggle. 
Yeah, the Lord says it is a struggle. But this is not the race I want. Well, look at our next point right here. Look at that last phrase of verse 1. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. God sets the race for you. For you. You don't get to pick the race. God picks it for you. Now, we're going to get to a little bit here of why he picks what he picks, but you may not get to pick the race that you want to run. Now, that's not a lot of fun. I can remember back when I was in high school and I ran cross country. Some of these meets that we'd go and run in some of these schools had the most crazy courses that you could imagine. And so they would always have these little meetings before the race started, saying, okay, everybody, we want to show you what you're going to do. You're going to run around the big reservoir once, and then you're going to run through the woods, run around the little reservoir twice, then you're going to come back and run around the big reservoir once, and you're going to finish up over here. Does everybody got it? I never paid attention. You know why? Because I knew I was never going to be at the front. I'd have 50 people in front of me. 50 people in front of me, I knew. We ran at regionals one time. Our team made it all the way to regionals. I did not come in last place. I came in third to last, just for the record. I never once had to worry about the direction of the race because there's always so many people in front of me. Now, does that mean I liked it? Not necessarily. We live in a very flat area. I think you guys probably know that. You know what killed us in cross country? You send us to a race that had a couple hills. We had no way to train for them. We had no way to prepare for it. We hated that. I don't get to set the race. I don't get to set the pattern. I don't get to set any of that. I had to run what the course was. Now, the same thing happens in your walk with the Lord. God sets a race for you. What type of race do we want? A nice, flat, easy-going race, and then I want to die in my sleep at an old age and wake up in heaven. You don't get to pick the race. God sets the race for you. Now, if you can't get past that point... None of the rest of the stuff's going to matter because right now you're ticked at God for the race that he gave you. Please keep listening, though, because there's some points that come back to the race that he gave you. So point number one, the race can be a struggle, a conflict, a contention. Number two, God sets the race for you. Number three, this is not a race of a sprint. This is a race that we're supposed to run, verse 12, excuse me, verse 1, with endurance. I, I think sometimes people look at the Christian walk as the sprint. No, there's no way whatsoever. We're supposed to run with endurance. Some of your translations run with patience. You may be running this race for decades. Decades. What does that look like? It may mean that you're going to be running the race for decades of hopefully seeing a loved one eventually get saved. You need to have patience and endurance. You may be in a bad marriage right now where you're running a race waiting for this marriage to get better. It's going to take endurance and patience. You may be in a job situation right now where you just want out so bad, but there's no other possibilities. You've got to run with some endurance and patience waiting for this to happen. If you try to sprint it, that's not the way it works. This is a race that's run with patience and endurance, and you say, Lord, I will stay the course. I will stay the course that you set for us. And please note, I use the word us. The race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance. Let us lay aside. This is not a competition. It's not a competition. It's not about who prays better. It's not about who reads the Bible better. It's not about any of that in any way whatsoever. Now, maybe you guys don't notice that too much. But I'm telling you, from my perspective, man, I see a lot of competition in the body of Christ. 
I see people fighting to get their little piece of the pie when it comes to ministries. I see pastors trying to be overprotective, and they got their little boundary lines drawn, and there's this little competition who's got the biggest, best church. Oh, my goodness, that's a bunch of baloney. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It makes no difference how big or whatever the ministry, the Bible study of the church is. It's are we representing Jesus Christ. It is not a competition. We're supposed to work at this together. Now, you may not be able to relate to some of that, but I'm asking you this. Are you what I call the solo Christian? God has warned us numerous times out the Bible to not be the solo Christian. You're supposed to run with other people. So when you're going through a difficult time, you have somebody that helps encourage you. You have somebody that helps you, somebody that prays for you. You have somebody that keeps you accountable if you get off the course and somebody who loves you enough to look at you and say, listen, that's not how a godly person is supposed to act, and I love you enough to tell you that. But if you only want to go solo and pick your own course and pick your own pace, then you really don't want the race that God has in store for you. So let's just review these first four points. Your race can be a struggle. It can be a conflict. It can be a fight. It's difficult. God sets the race for you. It's not a sprint. It's a race of endurance and patience. And you're supposed to run as a group. Let us run. Now, what makes it so difficult? What are we supposed to do in verse 1? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The weight and the sin. I looked up that Greek word for weight, expecting something amazing. You know what it means? Weight. It just simply means straightforward what it's saying. When you go run, you don't want to carry any extra weight with you. You know, a few years ago, I got back into running a little bit, and you would go to some of these running stores, and you'd pick up the running shoes, and they don't feel like anything whatsoever. They're so lightweight. And then you got the moisture wick clothes. you got the whole wardrobe. you got everything. Everything is just such as light as possible, and is, is just everything. Because the whole point is you want to be carrying as little amount of weight as possible. Because who wants to go run with a backpack full of 100 pounds? That doesn't make sense. Lightweight, free. So you're supposed to lay aside every weight, every sin. And the word sin means sin. That so easily ensnares you. It so easily entangles you. This is why we're finishing with communion. You're here tonight on a Wednesday night. Now, granted, it's a very warm Wednesday night for February. You still came out. I think there's a part of you that says, James, I want to run the race. And I want to do a better job of it. This is why we're finishing with communion, because I'm willing to bet that you have some weight that makes it harder to run the race. I bet you have some sin that makes it harder to run the race. Now, let's go with the easy one. Let's let's talk about what sin you have. You already know. You know what you're struggling with. You know the sin that you have. You know the things that you keep jumping right back into. Maybe it's looking at things you shouldn't look at. Maybe it's saying things you shouldn't say. Maybe it's being prideful. Maybe it's walking in this, the life revolves around me. Maybe it's just flat out sin. What about the weight? What could that weight be? Are you harboring unforgiveness towards somebody? Are you harboring bitterness towards somebody? I tell you, the thing about bitterness is, that's a tricky one to find. Pastor Rich was teaching about bitterness a couple Saturdays ago at the Saturday morning men's prayer time, and he made a great point. He said, you know, the Bible talks about in Hebrews, which we're going to get to here just in a little bit, this idea of the root of bitterness. Look in the same chapter, verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble. 
and by this many become defiled. Here's the thing about a root. You know as well as I do, you can chop off everything visible, but if that root is still underground and growing, it's eventually going to pop back up. So you may look at yourself in the spiritual mirror of life and say, I see no bitterness, I'm good. Then all of a sudden that root pops back up. You see that person you thought you forgave and you didn't. That person that you thought let it go all of a sudden says something and your blood just starts to boil again. Or the exact same situation happens again. Lias came to me not that long ago and he was frustrated with something that his brothers were doing. And he came to me and he said, Dad, I don't know why they just keep doing it. They know how much it bothers me. And I said, buddy, I don't think they're doing it on purpose. I think the Lord is just showing you. you got to learn to work through this in life. He was telling me today on the way to church, he came out with me. He said he wanted to grow up to become president because he's got a list of people he wants to arrest. I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. The kid's already got a hit list at 11 of people that he feels are not doing what's right, and he's, he's keeping track. Man, he's going to have bitterness in his life. So you may look at it, you may come to me and say, James, I'm struggling with this person. I can't believe they did this. It bothers me so much. And I would say, you need to let it go. Then you say, oh, I've let it go. Well, then why are we talking about it? Because if you let it go, you're not going to come talk to me about it. And then guess what? In a few weeks, you're going to bring it up again. I'm going to say, I thought we'd let that go. Oh, I let it go. It doesn't bother me. But obviously it does. The root sprung back up. Those are the weights that tear you down. It's a past that you can't move past. It is decisions that you made weeks, months, years ago that you just can't move past. Maybe it's the fear of the future. I don't know what it is, but it's a weight that you're trying to run this race with, and you just need to get rid of it. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress, or maybe seen one of the movies of Pilgrim's Progress. You know what I'm talking about, where Christian is trying to walk, and he's got that burden that he carries. And the one movie adaption that we have at home, he literally carries on his back this huge just pack of burden. And that's what this verse is saying. I remember one time seeing a pastor, and he brought up a couple kids, and he had them race, and they ran. Then he said, okay, now one of you, I'm going to put a backpack on. And he started putting in weight. Now go run the race. And man, you start off slow. The next thing you know, you're stumbling. That's what some of us are doing here tonight. It's time to let go of the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and entangles us. That's what we need to do. Now, we'll stop here real quick. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything in that first verse before we move on? All righty. How do we do it? Answers found in verse 2. Jesus set the example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If he's the author and finisher of our faith, he's the beginning of it, he's the end of it, he's everything. Everything revolves around Jesus. I cannot stress that to you enough. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you were created for God's workmanship for good works. Remember, we studied that this summer. You're created to glorify Christ. You're not created to glorify yourself. You're not created to fulfill your own wants, desires, passions, whatever. You are created to look unto Jesus and follow the example he set. Jesus had weight He could have carried a lot of bitterness. People betraying him, beating him, torturing him, spitting upon him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Man, he set the example. I think of what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as in Christ God forgave you. 
It blows my mind when we sit here and say, Lord, I want your forgiveness, but I'm not willing to pass that forgiveness on to other people. Jesus set the example for us. Our eyes are on him. And what did he have to go through? Because I've heard people say this. I can't believe it. I've heard people say this. Well, I wish I could have been like Jesus and die at 33. Oh, my goodness, people. I've heard them. What did he do in verse 2? He went to the cross. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you know what the cross was like. He didn't just go to the cross. He said for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. The joy. I have not got this figured out yet. So please don't think I'm saying I do. I am slowly, tiny, getting a glimpse of when somebody comes into my life that is a weight or a snare that wants to entangle me. There's a small, tiny part of me that says, wow, Jesus, you love them. You love them, and I need to love them too. And wow, Jesus, you see them in a different light, and I need to pray for them and love them. And almost a sense of, Lord, thank you for letting me see those things I'm still struggling with. Because Jesus, the cross was a joy to him, for he knew what? What it would bring to us for salvation. And what did he do? He despised the shame. Now he gets to sit down at the right hand of God. Now here's the problem. If you choose not to have that mindset of Christ, verse 3, for consider him, meaning Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. If you are here tonight and you are weary and discouraged, may I ask why? And I mean that legitimately. Why? You have a reason. I'm discouraged about my health. I'm weary of these trials I've been going through. I am worn out with my kids and decisions they're making. I'm worn out with my marriage. I am worn out with job situations. I am discouraged. This is not where I thought I would be in life. You, you got a list. I got a list. But here, look once again back to Jesus. Did Jesus walk around in that weary and discouragement and that complaining, etc.? No, he didn't. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the example that he set for us. Saying, listen, I know what it's like. I know how hard it can be. I know it's easy to get weary, discouraged, and want to give up. But Jesus set the example for us. I tell you, that's something that we got to remember. Megan. Mm-hmm. Right, the joy that was set before him was he looked past the cross and was able to see the joy of salvation now being opened to us and us being able to have entrance into heaven. So when he was going through that pain, that torture, everything, he was able to see the joy of the end result of what was going to happen. He saw the good that would come out of it. You know, the example I used a few Sundays ago when we were talking about the cross is um, parents having their child go through surgery. If you remember using this example, I've been to lots of surgery. It was parents where it's the kid. And so this child has struggled. This child has gone through something difficult. They found out what the situation was, and they get to take the child into surgery. And as soon as they take that child back to surgery, you see it in the parent's face, almost relieved. There's almost a joy that my child's going to come out of surgery and this hopefully problem's going to be fixed, things are going to be better and we can move on. Now, because they're looking past the surgery towards the joy of that child being better. But what are we really, that child going through? 
That child's going into surgery. That child's going to be cut open. This child is going to have a recovery time. There's going to be physical pain. But the parents are able to look past that for the moment and say there's a joy. There's a joy of my child getting better. And this is the same thing with Jesus. He was able to look past the cross for a moment and say, I see the joy that comes off the other end of it, seeing that now I can have a relationship with these people like they would never imagine. So that's what it is. Yeah. Anybody else got any other quick questions, comments here before we move on? Okay. Now, I didn't write this, so don't get mad at me. The race is difficult. The race is a contention. It's a struggle. It's a fight. God sets the race for you. It's not a sprint. It's endurance, patience. We work together as a group, us. We're supposed to get rid of weight and sin. We have the example of Jesus, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. So Jesus set the example for us. So therefore, we're not supposed to, in verse 3, become weary and discouraged because Jesus set the example. Now, at this point... Some people, maybe here, maybe listening, what have you, are going to still use the word but. Yeah, but you don't know. You don't know what it's like. Fill in the blank. You don't know what it's like at home. You don't know what it's like at work. You don't know what it's like in my soul. You don't know what it's like in my mind. You don't know what I've struggled with. You don't know. So now you have verse 4. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Verse 4 is one of those straightforward verses where basically the writer of Hebrews is saying, they're still going to whine and complain about this. I don't see you bleeding over it. I got five boys at home. Unless you are gushing blood, gushing blood. This is what I say to them at night. Do not come out of your room unless someone is dead, dying, or bleeding. That's the rule. If someone is dead, dying, or bleeding, come get me. Other than that, work it out. We like to go back to the crick. We go back to the crick, we accept the fact, and we go back to the crick that there's thorns and bushes and briars, and you're going to get wet, you're going to get muddy, you're going to get whatever. I'm not mean, I'm not nasty about it, please don't take it that way. But if they start to say, Dad, I say, okay, you can head back home, buddy. But we're going to keep going. Now, that's not being mean. That's saying, here's the task in front of us. You know what you're getting into. You know what the end result is. This is what we're going to do. Kenan got smacked the other day, came in. Tears coming down. We looked. I said, buddy, there's no blood. Crying stopped immediately, okay? Because he knows the rule. There's no blood. You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. I've had people come up to me over the years and said, I've tried everything. Everything. I don't know how much they tried. I don't know. But I know that Hebrews 12.4 is telling me, listen, there's a whole other level of saying, Lord, I want to fight this. There's a whole nother level of prayer. There's a whole nother level of saying, Lord, I'm dying to myself. There's a whole nother level of saying, Lord, I am just a walking sacrifice for you. And I'm going to fast over this. I'm going to pray over this. I'm going to be in the spirit over this. And I'm going to strive. I'm going to fight against this sin like nothing has ever seen before. It's a battle. But what do we normally do? We try until it starts to hurt. And then we give up. We try for a while and we don't see the progress we want. And we give up. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't? Aren't you thankful that Jesus, as soon as after he got arrested and he got hit the first time, he said, whoa, I know, I'm not doing this. No, he despised the shame, endured the cross. See, verse 4 is trying to basically tell you, you probably haven't tried as hard as you think you can. Now, now be careful, don't turn that into a legalism. 
Oh, I guess I need to go home and pray more. I need to go home and read more. Go and fast more. No, no, no. It's saying in verse 4, there's a mental mindset of saying, I hate this sin in my life so much that I want to do everything I can, Lord, to see it disappear. Lord, I, I hate this weight that I'm carrying so much. I don't want it anymore. Remember when Jesus said in the Gospels, if your hand offends thee, cut it off. If your eye offends thee, pluck it out. Jesus wasn't saying walk around cutting off your limbs and taking off your eyes. He was saying, can you hate sin so much that if that would truly take care of sin, you'd be willing to do it? I think a lot of us want to stop sinning. There's a lot of us that want to get rid of those weights. But when we see what it really comes down to, are we really willing to make the sacrifices? Are we really willing to stop and say, Lord, okay, I'm going to resist to the point of bloodshed on this, not literally, but in my heart and my soul to say, Lord, I'm done with it. I can't carry this on anymore. Now, I didn't want to leave this message on that hard note of verse 4. I want to leave it on an opportunity. That's why we're finishing with communion tonight because there's an opportunity now for you guys to stop and say, okay, I got weight, I got sin, I want it gone. I want to run the race that was set before me. I'm done with all this. I'm going to do it. The verse that we read all the time for communion is this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. And that's what we're going to do right here now. Is we're going to stop and say, Lord, what weights are on my life that I need to get rid of? What sin has entangled me and snared me that I'm going to stop and get rid of? Because I want to run the race that is set before me. For the joy... The joy of it, Lord. That's what I want to do. So at this point, we're going to bring in whatever groups are coming in. Bob, I don't know which ones are. None of them? Okay. And I think Jason said he may be bringing his kids in. But at this point, what we're going to do is we're going to have a brief moment here where we just come to the Lord together in prayer. And this passage that I'm going to read from comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't need to, you don't need to read it there, but just listen up. It says, Therefore... Whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's what we're going to do. We need a time of self-examination. I think of all the passages where Paul wrote, test yourself. Are you in the faith? Are you walking in faith? Test yourself. Are you the believer that God has called you to be? Are you the believer that you want to be? What weights and sins are bringing you down? And are you really ready to get rid of it? Because if you're really ready to get rid of it, right here, right now, in communion, is the closest that you're going to get to the cross. To be able to stop and say, Jesus, I want it gone. I want it done. Aren't you tired of it? I, tell, I get so tired of sinning. Just, Lord, I want it to be done. And so now's our time in self-examination and the quietness of your heart. Let's take these to the Lord. Lord, as we come to you now, we want to do what your word says. Search us, try us. See if there's any iniquity in us. Lord, you be honest with us. Those things that we have hidden, those roots of bitterness that we have covered up, bring them to light. Convict us lovingly. Lord, I think of what's also going on there, Lord, in Corinthians. We want to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. Show us, Lord, the areas that we need to work on. And then we're going to come to you at the foot of the cross and ask for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And just parents, as the kids are coming in, they're going to be sitting with you. We're just going to have this time of just prayer where we just kind of quietly go before the Lord 
And we ask him to look into our hearts, look into our lives, open those doors that we don't want open, go into every part of our lives and say, Lord, we really want you to come in and clean house. The weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, we give to you. And as these kids are coming in, let's just kind of quietly go to the Lord with this and just really give these things over to the Lord. Kids, as you're coming in, you can just come in and sit here with your parents or just kind of sit where you want. We're just having a quiet time of prayer where we're just giving our hearts over to the Lord and just getting rid of those sins, those weights in us that only God knows about that we want to let go of and really just focus on him, just really focus on him. So we're going to have a time of quiet prayer right now where we just really give our lives over to him and we confess those things that are bringing us down as the Lord speaks into our heart. Let's pray this. Lord, it's so easy at this time just to be overwhelmed by the weights, past decisions, just past things, fears of the future. Lord, and sin, things that we know we're wrong in. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We want to come to you with a clean slate right now through Jesus Christ, that they have been forgiven in you. We want to die to those things. We want to run the race that is set before us. And we thank you and praise you for your love, grace, and mercy in your name. Amen. Worship team, guys are helping with communion if you can come forward here.